This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. start customary saying good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast, but obviously it's, it's not morning, it's, um, it's early afternoon, we're in Vegas, um, it's, it's day one though, so we're all challenging ourselves with time zones and uh, flights and uh, uh, a bit of jet lag and adjusting to time zones. So, welcome um, to the podcast, um, I'm your host Alex Bond. Um, I'm really lucky today to be joined in person, in situ, uh, by Anthony, who's co-founder and CEO of Monitor. Um, Anthony, good afternoon, how are you? This is great. <laughs> This is great. I feel like I'm looking at you as if you're on a computer screen, but you're actually right in front of me. Like I'm looking in your soul. But so if it's awkward, it's because I'm not used to doing this. But I know it's, uh, it's it's really strange. I think we were just having this conversation yeah. that was saying I still don't think I've adjusted to the fact we're in Vegas. Um, yeah. You know this. I mean, Vegas is a hell of a place to visit the best of times. But being amongst what, nine thousand insurtech execs or interested parties is quite something. So. Um, yeah, but before, look, we're going to get distracted by ITC, and I'll, I'll talk about ITC a bit more. Um, please introduce yourself and, and obviously the, the business and give us some context for this conversation. Yeah, so I'm Anthony Habayeb, the uh, CEO and co-founder of a company, Monitar. Monitar is an AI governance software company. Mm-hmm. So we bring model governance software to the insurance industry okay. to help them really like build and eventually automate responsible and ethical governance across these modeling systems, AI projects that are making really important decisions. Mm -hmm. What should your price for insurance be? Should I approve this claim, right? Should I underwrite this individual? Even sometimes what ad you're getting. So uh, we're excited by the potential of AI and we built a company to really help engender trust and confidence you know, in AI through something super unsexy, (laughs) which is governance and auditability. But surely the money to be made in insurance is all in the unsexy stuff. I think. Such a sexy industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I know. But it is. But it is actually. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think you know we, you and I have obviously talked previously, and I, and I, I want to try and keep this kind of um, centered on where you fit into the AI equation because I think, do you think the kind of noise around AI is unhelpful to kind of like building products like your own? That's a tough one. I mean, I think that, um, so from an industry perspective, I think insurance is sitting on the thing that AI needs, which is tremendous amounts of data, historical data that can help to sort of train and inform predictive models going forward, right? And I think that there's tremendous opportunity around that. Um, I also think that as an industry, sometimes insurance is a little laggard to other industries with technology. Mm -hmm. And I think that executives currently feel a huge amount of pressure to be innovative and to signal their investments in new technologies and sometimes don't necessarily have the readiness to really achieve the objectives they set out to achieve. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both amazing because it's going to push a little bit harder than some folks might be comfortable, but then there's the flip side of that. 
mm. which is I, I think that there's some sort of clean your room before you go out and play sort yep. of thing that needs to happen in, in almost every industry, right? Insurance is not that unique, but that's yeah. definitely the risk that I think uh, we face. That's a, that, I love that phrase, clean your room. Because um, I think about that in, in many contexts. You know, we, we talk about, um, as, as many people that know, I'm on a search firm, um, uh, FinPro search partners, and when we talk to clients about hiring, you know, the, the example I always use is that people love psychometric testing for people that are going to join the business. What they never do is run that internally. So they don't know what they're dealing with internally. So they're talking about kind of personalities, behaviours, and that person's not the right fit for us. But they don't know what is making their team work currently sometimes. Yeah, there's a lack of awareness. So that kind of clean your room comment applies to kind of most things when you're trying to kind of grow. It's like the, you know, don't run before you can walk and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's the, um, what should people be doing? Um, to be ready and I appreciate you've kind of you can solve problems in different areas and you mentioned kind of various ones of them like looking at the models they're using through to kind of what adverts but where where do people start in kind of being ready to adopt you know things like these kind of AI technologies well I think first let's soften the word AI I mean we're nowhere near sentient or like yeah. real artificial intelligence I think the immediate opportunity in insurance is to use more advanced machine learning models versus maybe some of the linear regression or statistical models have been used historically, the actuarial models that have been built on historical data. Mm -hmm. That's the now opportunity, right? Just leverage some data, leverage some new data that's coming in that's maybe not inside the walls but coming from things like telematics or biometrics mm -hmm. and how to bring those things into, ultimately insurance is about predicting risk, yeah. right? And mitigating risk. And there's a lot of interesting data and opportunity to do that, I think, um, in a more robust and a unique way. Um, so in that context, insurance companies are trying to get their hands around what data do I have? What data is interesting to me? Can I bring these things together in a way that it's that accessible for talented resources to build models mm -hmm. that align with some business objective? And I think that third piece of a business objective is actually one of the most important parts that is sometimes jumped past. People are like, I want to go use this tool. I want to go buy this technology. I want to go use AI. But they haven't maybe necessarily started with just like the fundamentals of almost any project. What am I trying to achieve? Yeah. What does success look like? Right. Then you sort of walk through, well, is AI the right approach or not? Right. Um, there's many situations where you might be able to solve a problem with a new type of machine learning, but you could just as accurately and with less risk solve that problem with some form of statistical or linear regression model. Mm. Right? Um, and so I think the first step in, I think, AI success is actually this thing that we do, but it's not the risk side of the word governance. Mm -hmm. It's the business management side of that word, right. which is like having good discipline around what am I trying to achieve, right? What does success look like? Let's find the right way to solve that problem. If it happens to be AI, then great. Yeah. Then you can really align around the opportunity. Mm. Um, so a bit of a long answer, but no. But I think that's it's, it's a prudently well the wrong answer, <laughs> long answer. Um, because I was just thinking about those conversations with clients, and I was thinking with all the sort of different elements of what you do as a business, and or, or where you can integrate and. and where are the most common conversations that you're having now? Like mm. I, I, either sort of opportunities um, that clients are bringing or, or um, you know, challenges, and, and I was interested to see sort of how that's changed maybe yeah. over the last couple of years. I mean, efficiencies are really important, right? We're mm. in a, we're in a, one of those downward 
margin pressured moments of insurance at the moment, right? And therefore, every major carrier is looking for efficiencies. And even the AI vendors that are seemingly doing best at the moment are the mm -hmm. ones that like can really map towards an efficiency or like an obviously new revenue opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, so things that can sort of like streamline claims, um, streamline customer service, right? Reduce the number of heads that you might need to do that kind of work or in otherwise reallocate those heads towards higher value work because you can start to automate some of the more obvious tasks and opportunities. Um, so things that are driving efficiencies right now are where I see most of the application happening. Um, so like claims, customer service, mm -hmm. uh, pricing opportunities, but that's not pricing and underwriting. It does not have the same degree some of the automation that we might see in claims or in marketing or in customer service. Mm. I'm obsessed with claims. People on the podcast know this. I used to work in claims, so I'm always kind of looking at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the automation aspect, I think what excites me about anything automated is, is we look at people and people getting more rewarding jobs yeah. and taking away mundane tasks. Um, where do you think we are on that kind of cultural pathway to allowing kind of straight through kind of automation, having human in a loop? And, and I suppose I'm really looking at um, where people are comfortable um, because I think it's, we had a great conversation on, the, on this um, pod where we were talking about automation before and we were saying ultimate kind of like North Star will be when we're happy to kind of have surgery by full automation and, 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 and actually it would be crazy to think we're getting a surgeon in. We're yeah. definitely not there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, and the insurance kind of piece. You know, it's fun. Actually, healthcare is interesting, right? Because I think that people ask this question, how accurate is this system at predicting, you know, some malady, right? But doctors are not always right. No. Right? But do we ask a doctor, like, hey, what's been your accuracy rate in predicting colds or the flu? Like, we don't. Yeah. But because there's this software system, like, and because the thing we can't necessarily interact with in the same way, we do have certain questions that we feel we can't answer. And mm. sometimes that gets captured as the black box. But most of these systems actually can be made to be hugely introspective. Like where you can document them, you can say how they're supposed to perform, they can be tested, they can be monitored, and those kinds of things start to create trust in the system. Mm -hmm. And so I think as we continue to provide visibility to the people impacted by AI systems, visibility regarding was it built well, was it quality controlled, was mm -hmm. it tested, is it being monitored, were the people who built it skilled and able to do it, right? Like, you know, I wouldn't get in a car that my 12-year-old son built, but no. I'll get in a car that is sort of certified and has gone through a whole bunch of things, yeah, right? Yeah. I think we're sort of, that's the maturity of a new technology, but I think the good news is the demand for this technology is also forcing that we do need to apply certain controls. You know, like just, just yesterday, the White House put out a new executive order mm -hmm. that talked about like accelerating their mandate and requirements across all major cabinet members and federal agencies to accelerate their auditability and their assurance and their certification processes around AI systems. Uh, I think in two weeks, there's a huge summit in the UK mm -hmm. around these things. So, you know, I think we've hit this inflection in I'd say social awareness of AI's potential, that society is now also equally saying, hey, I'm excited about this, yeah. but I want to make sure that this thing is okay. Mm. And I think GPT really caused this kitchen table moment, is sort of this phrase that I've mm. used. Like, mm. It brought AI to the kitchen table. Yeah. Right. And because of that, 
you now have this public awareness of, oh, this is exciting. Look at what this thing just did for me, mm -hmm. right? How many resumes have you looked at that probably were not even <laughs> created by a candidate lately, right? Like um, optimized for your search interface, right? Mm -hmm. To find the best person. Those are exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the demand is also causing the demand for more transparency and that will accelerate usage. So the higher the risk, the more people want assurances of the quality and efficacy of a system. Right. Um, nobody asked about AI when Netflix was recommending what movie you should watch. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah. it's been doing it for quite a quite a while. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I think these things track in parallel, and mm. that's a good thing. Yeah, we've talked a few times on the podcast about the influence of kind of a, the consumer mindset. You can't step. You can't separate the two, right? We we, we have a, a consumer personal life, and then we work in businesses, and and. Once you got to the kind of what I call the Amazon moment of kind of, you know, they are very good at hitting what a customer wants when they have a buying experience. Yeah. Like, you can talk about the ethics of things and uh, what they have, the drink workers and all that sort of stuff, but actually the kind of delivery of the product is, is exceptional. Now your expectations, you, you just have to take that into the workplace. So when you look at technology, and it's the same for ChatGPT, so if, you, if, if it, that kitchen table moment was important because it goes, now we know what the possible is on an individual level, um, and how can that apply to us in the business context? Um, so yeah. I think that's interesting because that pushes us along the kind of um, cultural journey towards being comfortable with this stuff. Agreed. Because um, I get excited about this, and uh, I've been trying to pitch this in, in several conversations I've had now, so Anthony, I'd, I'd quite like to have your opinion. When we first looked at automation in the home, there was a conversation about, oh, we'll just have to, we can work less. Mm -hmm. We can be more productive and we can work less hours. But yeah. That is still a possibility. We've kind of like, that's one way of looking at using technology. It's like, use technology and work less, but we always have to kind of produce more. But um, You know what? I was just at a conference in New York, and the head of software at Microsoft, Microsoft to IBM, I'm sure they wouldn't mind that I am not sure which one it was, but it was one of them. <laughs> one of those. Uh, he made some comment about there's only three countries in the world that have net gains in workforce productivity. Only three, wow. and, and I and I want to say what they are, but I'm not sure, yeah, so yeah. I won't misstate that because yeah. I'm sure you know we could find that information. But it's sort of fascinating, isn't mm. it? Right. And so if you think about that, and there's all these worries that like people are going to lose jobs, like we're actually like less productive than we have ever been yeah. as a broader society. And so yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. that you could take sort of modern technology and AI and start to like fill a gap of a bunch of the productivity that we've maybe lost, like there's gonna be more work to be done than we have the people to do it. Mm -hmm. So if you can really almost like get a foundation of automatable work that can be delivered by certain systems, then you know we really only have a certain capacity today to do work, Yeah. right? And so we actually need to offset some of the existing work requirements from the human workforce mm -hmm. so that the human workforce can actually give us net gains in productivity by higher value work. Um, yeah. It was really interesting. I, my mind got sort of wrapped around. I'd never thought about that current stat and yeah. that actually like we have a fundamental human shortage in the amount of demand for productive work that exists. Mm. I, I mean, it's, it resonates with me because Brits are famously in, in Europe for the, work the longest hours but for the least production. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> something needs to be done there, you know. Um, I think particularly in insurance as well. I mean, look, we're only... Well, I've been in the industry, insurance industry, for 18 years. And only 10 years ago, I was watching people walk around the Lloyd's Market with suitcases. And I was like, oh, where are they going? They must be off to wonderful conferences like ITC. No, they're carrying around files of paper. And you think, that's within the last decade. 
Yeah. So we've got a way to go. I mean, I um, I was at a different conference not long ago. The CEO of a major life insurance company was touting how COVID helped them to move to paperless in one area of their business. This is in the last three years, right? Wow. Like, but this was like a celebrating moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved to paperless because of COVID. <laughs> like, so I, I mean, I think, but that's um, back to an earlier comment, mm. right? Like mm. insurance might be laggard sometimes in technology, but as it relates to AI, mm. um, there's some foundation that needs to be set, right? Some clean your room type dynamics that have to happen. But this technology in particular, insurance is pretty primed for it mm. because it is so data centric and already a modeling type industry, mm. right? Um, the opportunity is tremendous, mm. right? And I think that's why you see so many CEOs and insure techs and investors really circling this vertical in particular mm. um, because the, the efficiencies to help bring underwriters, right, and actuaries and risk executives up to higher level problems because there's a lot of like rote work that we could probably take off of their plate. Sure, sure. I was thinking about your sort of ideal customer profile when you were saying mm. that, and I was thinking, who, who, who are they? Because to one extent, presumably, they have a certain level of technical competence to be even effective as, as a partner, you know, yeah. partner business. But then also, the, the people with the biggest problems are probably the least close to the kind of like ideal tech setup. So, who is that perfect customer yeah. profile for your business? Actually, it's interesting. What you just characterized will give those department names, right. right? Like that first persona you explained is the model builder. Yeah. Maybe it's a data scientist. Mm -hmm. It's a machine learning engineer. Mm -hmm. It's an IT or software engineer. Could even be an actuary, right? The, the people who are actually building these modeling systems or applications, right? That other side, let's call them the risk managers, mm -hmm. right? You've got your compliance, your regulatory affairs, your legal, your internal audit. They are not technologists, mm -hmm. but they're the ones who ask the questions and are doing the work to protect the company, to protect consumers, to protect stakeholders, right? Um, those two groups in particular, for an ideal monetar customer, a company has those two groups who want to collaborate but really don't know how, right? Like, um, we've got this saying like, you know, good AI needs great governance, and great governance really requires the model builders and these risk teams to come together mm -hmm. in a way that they don't today, yeah. right? To see the projects, to understand what's happening, to understand if all the work that was required has been done, to be able to even ask questions like, hey, you know, Alex, what if you were a woman, would this model have handled you the same way? What if your age was like 55 instead of 35? What would have happened here? How many times did our algorithm make a decision about somebody in California that had the following characteristics, right? These those kinds of questions are not really accessible to those non-technical partners today, mm -hmm. right? So if we can bring these teams together, right, um, that's the opportunity um, to create transparency and trust in these systems. And um, our ideal customer really has like a technology team that wants to go faster, but could use better structure and organization of their work. And some risk stakeholders would say like, I want my team to go fast, but I need to know if they're doing what we need them to do. And it would be really nice if instead of they built a model and now they wait for me six months to approve something, what if they could know what I need from them from like day zero, mm. all the way through the journey. They could literally embed my risk requirements in their model development. How amazing would that be? Mm. Well, that's, that's really what we're trying to empower. It's almost like governance by design, right? As you're building, it's there. It's not this thing that's hanging off to the side that nobody wants to go down the hall to talk to the governance team, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Let's make them partners. And they want to be partners. Yeah. Just don't know how, because they're not technologists. So. Mm. 
And that's, that's making everyone talk to each other, because I, I think I shared this with you when we, we first uh, spoke. I, I did a, a piece of work, research work, and we had to build a algorithmic underwriting team, or, or, or it was, um, sorry, it was a project to see how possible that was, and if they were going to build it themselves versus buy, and it was an interesting kind of conversation. So they started on, you know, we put this great team in, and they were saying, right, what are the component parts we need to make that happen? They started talking to all the different stakeholders in that equation, similar to the stakeholders you just mentioned. Every one of those teams was some way on that pathway to doing the bit that they needed to do, but none of them knew it. Mm. So there's a huge problem. And, and do you see that thematically with clients where they just these different individual departments that just don't have any clear way of communicating or, or, or maybe just don't communicate? Well. That's, that's a corporate problem everywhere. Uh, yeah, as right? you say, it's not a insurance um, unique problem. But I think insurance is, Historically, their lines of business operate as separate business units, right? Their own P&L and operating division, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that uh, one of the interesting challenges of AI for an insurance company is they've historically been a little federated in their governance, right? Claims manages claims, personal lines manages personal lines, commercial manages commercial specialty, right? Marketing, like these things tend to be a little isolated. Because you think about AI almost as a horizontal mm. that's really going across all of these divisions. Each of them are excited and believe in the potential to iterate and improve their area by leveraging AI. But the way that you would govern the AI is very similar across all those things, right? And so, um, you know, similar software or sort of IT in some ways, there's this opportunity to build a repeatable pattern and create a communication that goes across departments to better manage AI. Mm. Um, and so I think these, you know, maybe this can be a catalyst for better collaboration between technology and risk generally, right? Like this is, this is a software type that's uniquely requiring more close coupling and partnership between the teams. Yeah. Um, and less specialization of understanding the business unit Right, and more being an expert, like what's the risk of the technology and how do you manage the risk of the technology? Mm. The, um, I, I, was, I keep looking at my screen because there's a really good quote from you and I was trying to form it into a question, but I just think it just sits very well. Um, the path from model to proof of ethics isn't a straight line. Yeah. It's like it was sort of incrementally, let's get better as we go. Yeah, and I, you know, there's also this other like turning principles into practice, right? Like is there an insurance company that doesn't have some so societal or environmental or governance statements and opinions? Is there an insurance company out there that doesn't have ethical standards and guidelines mm -hmm. that they operate within? No way, mm -hmm. right? But how do you actually take those things and translate them down into literally, what is my data scientist doing? And does this thing ladder up you know, in? And um, that's hard, mm. right? That's really difficult. That's, mm. And that's not a thing, frankly, that the data scientists or the risk manager have any expertise at doing. Mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the market opportunities that we see is really helping to translate, you know, whatever these uh, policies might be up top, whether it's an ethics or it's a financial or it's a technology, right? These higher level governance principles and standards or even regulations, mm -hmm. helping to translate those down into executable guidance and tooling for those two stakeholders, the model builders and the risk teams. Mm. Right? That's actually a huge piece of our solution is that we have, as an example, an entire library of control 
policies that literally tell the model builder, this is exactly what you need to do to mitigate this risk. And by the way, if you do it this way, it maps to this corporate policy, and it maps to this regulation, and it maps to this standard, right? So um, that's a real big gap and challenge right now, is mm -hmm. there's really not, ex I mean, a lot of people say they're experts, and like, oh, AI risk management, or AI governance, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you become an expert at that. I think yeah. sometimes, like, someone's like, oh, talk to Anthony, he's an expert. I, not, like, you mm -hmm. know, it's really, maybe as much as anybody, because I've been, we started the company in 2019. Um, but uh, there's a, there's a lot of learning all of us mm. need to sort of be humble about and listen and learn and absorb and you know test theories and then start to apply real executable practice uh, we yeah well, there's so much there that I, I wanted to pick up but it really resonates with a conversation we had um my colleagues over and i attended this event which is called making change of insurance and usually you know it's predominantly a de and i focused group and they were looking at ai and it was kind of ai ethics but um it was, it was talking about this challenge of going, how do you interrogate it? Mm -hmm. uh, and I always, I always say, it's, I call it the FP problem. So when you're growing a business for the first time and you're not a finance person and you have to go and hire your first finance person. Now I know what a good CFO looks like in insurance. I don't know what a good FD looks like in recruitment because I've never had to hire one yet. I've, I've outsourced one. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't know a good one from a bad one. Because I don't know how to ask the right questions. I'm not an expert. So that thing of hiring an expert because they're the expert. Yeah. But how do you how do you find that person? How do you quantify that? I mean, that's hard. Yeah. Like it's not an easy thing, right? Like, I think every hiring manager struggles a little bit with hiring a thing that they don't have intimate experience or knowledge for. Of course. You know, like, it, there were moments in my career where I stressed personally about. A decision I made early on to be a pretty intentional generalist <laughs> you know like, yeah, like I've that. I've run every division yeah. uh, you know my journey to monitor came through entrepreneurship at big companies mm -hmm. you know sold managed sales built products managed products you know all of the departments biz dev, mergers acquisitions right global responsibilities um, but this reason I decided to go down that route is because I wanted to have like good general understanding of all of these different pieces to try and de-risk exactly what you just said, that I would be in some situation that I had like zero context for, yeah. or like no foundational awareness to reference to help me think through a problem, right? Um, but even, even as the founder of a company that's like focused on AI governance, I continue to find myself like learning and absorbing and consuming more, and so I think the, um, I would almost run as a hiring manager. I'm just thinking about this in real time. Yeah, yeah, I almost yeah. run away from someone who is like overly espousing to be an expert. Yeah. Because this is a pretty nascent space. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And if someone doesn't come to you with like humility and curiosity, right? Like they know something, but they also are hugely aware of what they don't know and they show an eagerness to stay plugged in and continually learn and engage that might be one of the most important characteristics you're looking for as you're building, let's say you're looking for a head of AI, mm -hmm. right? Or someone to take on a senior role. Like, you need, I think you need that person to be hugely curious yeah. and aware that they are not truly an expert um, so much as they might try to propose they are. Well, yeah. It's I mean, interesting. The, I've never thought about this before. No, it was, it was, I mean, the thing I, I was able to reflect on that is, is that, you know, when, when we had this change in insurance where we went from, um, 
all data was kind of managed by actuaries in an actuarial mindset, and then we started to build data science teams. One, it was about who reports to who, but all of a sudden, because the demand for data science was so large, we had loads of data scientists suddenly emerge. Yeah. And they were just actuaries that had done the Coursera course, and they yeah. decided that they were now data scientists. And mm. I said, my concern is that with AI, because it's such a nascent kind of area, we're getting that sort of development. So kind of trying to spot the true experts from the not, and to your point, it's like, you can only be an expert to a point anyway, and then it's about being curious, and, and it, it, it is a challenging place to uh, particularly hire. Um, but I wanted to uh, Actually, if you don't mind, something yeah, sorry, you just no, said that I think is actually a really interesting observation I have about insurance. I believe that the silo of data science versus actuaries is an opportunity that insurance uniquely has versus other industries to cause the best possible AI systems. Yeah. So actuaries have quite a bit of discipline and rigor and structure around their model development journey, mm -hmm. right? Their methodology, mm -hmm. their validations, the work that they do to sort of get to a place where like, okay, this thing is now ready to be used, right? Um, data science, which has come up for more like the software and agile world, is a little bit more like quick in experimentation and getting to results and then maybe making optimizations as you go or course correct. I think that insurance, because they have this history of actuaries, mm -hmm. bringing some of those sort of actuarial standards of practice and methodologies into the more modern sort of, or in, modern is not necessarily the right word, but the alternative approach that data science takes to solving yeah. problems, yeah. better synergies between those is a tremendous opportunity that insurance is like the only industry that could sort of cause that mm. because actuaries are an insurance thing effectively, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm excited by that. It's something that we realize potential, like our software helps to actually cause better alignment of actuarial practices and data science practices mm -hmm. so that if I'm a carrier, I'm not having to reinvent the wheel for how do I manage my data science and AI projects versus my actuary. Like there's a, a lot of opportunity to bring this together. And I think as we see insurance move forward, you're going to see probably more organizational alignment mm -hmm. happening between actuaries and data science resources. Yeah, I mean from, from a, I think we might have touched on this before, but I, I, my complete belief is that you know ultimately we're going to have that data so will be the top-down department, and actuary will be part of that, and data science may be part of that, and it's like overall we'll have a custodian of how we use data inside the business, and strategically what do we want to do with it? Whereas like when it started, the evolution of it, we were, I was going out and hiring a head of data science who was going to look at data across this entire carrier and the most exciting experimental ways, but then they were reporting into a chief actuary, and it kind of, it seemed at odds because, you know, an actuary thinks in a certain way yes. about data in an insurance environment. Yes. They don't have that broader context. Yeah. Potentially. I see, we see that often. Yeah. Um, something I, uh, I, I also want to go back to, and I, I think this is important with your business, is that, you know, we started talking about ethics, and then we talked about ethics in governance, and then we talked about sort of regulation. I think that's an important point to kind of hammer home because I think when people think about governance, they think about regulation. Mm. Uh, let's just keep, they don't think about, oh, we've got values as an organization and we want to stay true to them. Yeah. Is that something that gets missed in the, in the conversation about what you do? There's a stat that McKinsey put out not, not long ago that 60 to 80% of AI projects don't achieve their business objectives. Wow. And uh, we have a partnership with PwC uh, in Europe mm -hmm. where we sort of like, you know, approach relationships together. They offer their expertise, we offer our software, and those things come together pretty nicely. Um, governance 
in the sort of GRC definition, it sort of controls to help protect achievement of business objectives, mm. right? Um, it's not just about regulation at all, right? Like, how do I know if I'm going to give you $3 million, what's happening with this money? What structure do you have in place for this project to help ensure that the project you said you're going to deliver gets delivered on time with good quality and performs the way that you want it to? What's all the work that you're doing to help cause that? Mm. I think that sort of the ethics is a subset of that what does good look like definition set that sometimes is missing in some of these AI projects and journeys, mm. right? So there's that upfront sort of grooming that needs to happen around a project that understands like, what are my goals? What are my objectives? What standards do I need to align against, right? What sort of corporate policies might this thing infringe upon or need to reinforce, right? Mm. What data do, am I using? Do I have the permission to use? Like all of these things are really important pieces of causing a successful project and bonus demonstrating your regulatory and internal corporate alignment against mm, risks. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a big piece of what we really do in a lot of our relationships is actually like almost um, neutralize the word governance to not be viewed as a singular risk requirement, yeah. but as more of like a creating better structure and likelihood of success in your AI projects. Mm. And um, that's done by better documentation, clear policies, you know, integration within your systems and infrastructure, creating alignment between people. Um, but I do, I think actually most companies, they have an uh, expectation of what they think is good or bad, mm -hmm. what they would be okay with or not okay with. They don't have a way to really like affect that stuff onto projects, right? Or sniff it out afterwards. Like, are we staying true to what mm -hmm. we thought we mm -hmm. would, mm -hmm. right? Your question earlier about like how you would introspect or test the system, right? Um, it happens throughout a journey, right? And uh, I do believe that companies absolutely can apply their values and their ethics policies into their systems. Because ultimately, this is software built by people. Yeah. Right? There, are, there are decisions made by individuals as these applications are built that can cause very specific outcomes. You can build a model to do anything. Yeah. Right? And uh, if you do not understand sometimes, that's a gap as well, right? Mm. Do the people building the models, do they have visibility into what's expected of them? Sure. Right? So that they can you know, ingrain those in what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, that, 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 that's that good governance as a pathway to growth as a business, rather than kind oh, I of like that. just looking at, yeah. writing a copy yeah. for you. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Let's keep going. What else do you have? But, but, but I thought that's really important because when you, we both did ourselves a disservice at the start of this conversation because we said, oh yeah, we were sort of joking about saying governance and non-sexy piece. And obviously there's a there's sort of joke in there. In the same way that insurance, we were, everyone in insurance here drolly says, oh, well, you, know, it's, you know, it's not the most exciting sector, but you're like, without insurance, business is, is, isn't allowed to happen. Without, Period. Without good <laughs> governance, insurances fail or succeed. But when we say governance, I think it gets tied to regulation so quickly, but regulation is just like table stakes. It has to do that. We're in insurance. Yeah, it yeah. has to do that. Yeah. We have to be regulated. So yeah. the, 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 the sexy side of governance, and I'm going to go that far, yeah. is the delivery of these business objectives, which obviously your you software helps I, you um, do. Maybe, maybe somewhere with this post we could link to or share an article I wrote some months back um, uh, for, a, for a trade magazine uh, called Is uh, Insurance the Hero AI Needs? And <laughs> you know, the whole premise of this was like insurance, if insurance solves how to govern AI, it then is able to backstop AI for all the other places that we want to be using AI, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. To exactly your point, companies don't get built, people don't take risks, right? Like insurance is literally critical for anything that happens. Mm. When you really look at it, it's mm. almost overwhelming, mm. like holy crap, 
Mm. Like insurance is everything, mm. right? And I think by this industry solving how to govern itself around this technology, it becomes more prepared to support the technology across all of the use cases where it can impact our lives. And that's really inspiring. I think that's actually a really exciting idea. Yeah. I want to leave it there because that's, that's a really nice place to end it. And uh, we're, we're championing the bit for kind of insurance as being a you know, catalyst for great business, which I really believe it to be. So, um, Anthony, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule um, at ITC. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank this you. was great. Thanks, man.